You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is James McGregor. And James is the CEO and co-founder of Biteable, which is an online video animation company that helps marketers around the globe create stunning professional quality videos in just minutes. Since its founding in 2014, Biteable has grown its customer base to a staggering 4 million users. We're going to hone in on that today, all ramping up their content marketing strategies, and engaging their target audience through eye-catching animated ads, explainer videos, and social media videos. So, welcome to the show, James. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for having me. So now I'm curious, how many of those videos do I see on Facebook and on LinkedIn and and on YouTube are created with your tool? I'll bet a lot of them. A lot of them, yeah. It's pretty (laughs) crazy. (laughs) There's, There's literally hundreds of thousands of videos made every month. Yeah, 4 million users can create a lot of videos, I'll bet. They do, yeah. And they seem to, it's, it's always interesting when I, you know, I go through my feed and most of the time I can see a butterball video, but occasionally it, just, it pops up. I'm like, oh, wow, that one's actually <laughs> made with a product and I didn't notice. Awesome. Well, listen, we're going to hone in on that today. We're going to talk about one of the big things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your journey for Biteable and kind of how you got to where you are now. But we're going to talk about, we're going to hone in on how you've been able to acquire over 4 million users. We're going to we're going to take that apart. But before we do that, give us a super quick backstory. Don't spill the popcorn in the lobby. Don't give it all, but give us a little bit of an intro into, you know, kind of how you got here and then we'll dig into Biteable. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. So I've been working with startups for about 20 years. I've been helping startups mainly with marketing and product. When I started Biteable, it was about five years. We actually started on the idea. I just moved back to Australia. My previous role before that, I was marketing director at a startup incubator. So I had a bit of a thesis of how to build better startups from scratch, basically. And my brother moved back to Australia at the same time. He's a film animator. He was working for Peter Jackson in New Zealand. And we went about and we just wanted to find like what, what's our next big startup or project. So we tested an idea a month for a year and Biteable was you know basically the best of those ideas. Wow. So you tested like 10 or 15 different, like 12 different ideas? Yeah, we were wow. just, you know, because I was doing that as a job at a startup incubator. New startups would come in every six weeks, we're la- you know, launching new products. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So it, it taught me how to, you know, really compact things down and make hard decisions. But I always felt that the ideas weren't that good. And so I thought if, if we could do this, but you didn't really have to, you know, there wasn't any kind of committee to please. So it was just like the two of us arguing in a, a small office that uh, we could probably come up with something better. And that was the approach. I love that because rather than falling in love with one idea and just, mm-hmm. you know, in drinking your own Kool-Aid and thinking that it's the mm-hmm. greatest thing on earth, 
you went out and tested a whole bunch of things. And then based on more of a data-driven approach, you said, hey, listen, this is most likely the winner. Let's double down. Yeah, it was always really frustrating. I've I worked with you know lots of startups and software companies and most of the time they would build something, then give it to me as the marketer and you know say, go and promote this and now sell it. I talk to customers and find out pretty quickly it's not what they need. <laughs> but a lot of the time in the talking, I'd find something else and be coming back saying, hey, they don't really need that, but they do need this. Can we, can we build this instead? And it would just you know be this permanent sort of a stalemate. So yeah, we just tested the idea, didn't get attached to any of them, put them out in market, actually spoke to customers, ran ads, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Just imagine if those people you were working for had those conversations before they invested thousands and thousands of dollars and hours into developing that product. If they'd have just had those conversations up front, how much easier it would have been? Yeah, that was basically, I think, the core of my thesis that, you know, nobody's listening to the market. What if we just listen to the market and do what they wanted? Perfect. Well, listen, let's talk a little bit about, about Biteable. How much capital mm-hmm. have you raised? Because I know you said you had some raised a little bit of money. Yeah. So in Australian dollars, it's about four mil, so about three mil US okay. over two rounds. So we did, uh, yeah. Good. And how big is Biteable, whether you want to do it in revenue or employees or percentage mm-hmm. growth? Give us a sense of that. I know we know 4 million users, but what does that yeah. translate to in dollars and cents growth? Yeah, so 4 million users, there's 32 staff supporting it. We, we do about 5 to 6 mil ARR and revenue. So yeah, we're a, we're a growing startup. We're definitely over the hump, but uh, we've still got a long way to go. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So five to six million as a SaaS product, what do you charge? I mean, is there different features? I mean, there's a freemium and then there's mm-hmm. premium features. I mean, what's what's mm-hmm. the what's the average customer paying for a subscription? So it's a freemium tool. So most people don't pay anything. Freemium's really just a marketing strategy for us. So it, it gives us two things. So it gives us this huge pool of users. A lot of them you know, just have really interesting, often just one-off kind of use cases for videos. So we're Always looking at what they're doing, always looking for trends, looking for different segments that we could target. And then out of them, you know, a smaller percentage convert to paying subscribers. And then we really, you know, in product development, we're really trying to hone in on those subscribers and, and build out their specific use cases. Gotcha. So so you have a, a large group of freemium users and then you have a smaller mm-hmm. group. So what's the revenue model right now? Is it all driven by subscription? Is it more professional yeah. services? I mean, what is it? Yeah, so it's it's all subscription revenue. You know, people buy an annual or a monthly plan. We've actually got sort of lots of new stuff coming out in the background at the moment. But yeah, there's no services. The whole team is, as I said before, are marketers, animators, and engineers. So we're, we're kind of like really hands-off with the day-to-days of the product. You know, we really focus on, we've still got that sort of data tinkering approach. So we just spend our time hands in, like testing things constantly, looking for trends, releasing things. Um, so we're kind of the opposite of a, a sales focused startup. Sure. But I think that will change, you know, over the next few years, we're starting to get a lot of mid-market enterprise customers coming in. So we're starting to see that, you know, we're a particular type of company. But to keep growing, we do need to you know, bring on some of that other capability. Got it. Well, as a SaaS product, right? I mean, churn is one of your biggest challenges, right? Obviously, you acquire mm-hmm. users, but you know, if you don't acquire, if you don't retain them, that leaky bucket mm-hmm. can put you out of business. So, what's one of the biggest things you've learned about churn in growing this to you know to where you have in over five million in ARR? 
Yeah. Probably the biggest thing I've learned is you don't have that much control over churn. For It's really dependent on the user and what they want to do. So for us, you know, some people use Biteable to make a video presentation and they might want to do that once a year or once every two years. That's the reality. So trying to lock that person into monthly subscriptions, trying to you know retain them, it can be a losing game. So what we try and do is we really just focus on, on who are the users that want to use the product long term. And, and that kind of solves churn more naturally. Sure. So what are you doing to retain those people? I mean, I know that it's probably pretty easy for you to focus in on power users, right? I mean, you can see mm-hmm. how much they're logging in and how many videos they're creating in their first month and all that. And you could probably some sort of a sequence or follow-up or maybe even a phone call. But I mean, mm-hmm. what have you found to be the best or what are some of the things you're doing differently that you weren't doing initially that have given you maybe giving you a little bit of a leg up and reduce some of that churn with the real good target that you do want to have, which is those power users. Yeah. So probably, yeah, as you've said, it's identifying the power users. And and the biggest change over the last couple of years is originally we couldn't identify the power users. We just weren't segmenting. We didn't know how to dissect it. It was really hard to, they're not, it's not necessarily by country or country size. It's It's by like, really specific things like what's their use case. So it was until we set up the mechanisms to segment users properly, and then you can naturally see those trends really easily. It was difficult now that we can see the power users. It's really just listening to them and improving their experience. So segmenting was a big part of your learning curve, right? Segmenting was huge. Yeah, we actually brought a product manager on from GoDaddy it was really great. He, he was just sort of doing a day a week for about six months. And that was one of the first things he, he set up. And it has, it has changed a huge amount of things. Awesome. Well, listen, let's, let's get under the hood here in regards to how you've gotten 4 million users onto your platform. Because a customer acquisition, mm-hmm. this is obviously something that you've, you guys have done very, very well. And obviously, I'm sure it's a reflection of the product, but you've also done mm-hmm. some things right on the marketing side. So could you break down maybe some of your top customer acquisition strategies, how you've been able mm-hmm. to get these freemium users and then convert them into um, into some of your premium users? And then uh, I think from there, I think that'll really fill in the gaps on how this went from zero to five million in ARR, which is no easy feat in an industry that is flooded with SaaS products. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, um, you're not the only guy out there doing this. I mean, you've got competition and it's growing every day and you've been able to grow mm-hmm. a $5 million business. So that's huge. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the core of it is still that taking that data approach. So just look at the trends out there, what's happening in the market, what are people looking for and making sure you're actually giving them what they want. A lot of people I find still get carried away with an idea or you know something they're really passionate about, but doesn't necessarily resonate with the end users. And the way we actually implement that in terms of strategies is, is two things. So a lot of content marketing, content-wise, we try and just get really deep on content. We try and produce content that doesn't exist. Um, we want the content to be really useful. And then secondly, you know, content drives like top of the funnel. And then once people are in the product, we build a lot of promotion into the product. So most people use a free version of Biteable. If you use the free version, it has a watermark on your videos. We obviously integrate with all the social media channels and we encourage people to promote those videos. So by promoting them, people can see that video was made with Biteable. 
So it's, it's kind of like a nice little working system. It, it's a longer approach than just running some ads or trying to get some viral campaigns happening or, or something like that. But, it, you know, over time, it, it really builds up. Perfect. So let's take a little bit closer look at the content approach because you, you said a couple, mm-hmm. of, couple of words there that really stood out. And I think it definitely worth noting here. One was unique and one was deep, right? You know, we see a lot of not so unique and very shallow Mm. content out there on social and and everywhere in between blogs and and anywhere you look. So Mm -hmm. the unique and deep approach. So as opposed to, I mean, I'm sure you put a lot of content out there, but it sounds to me like it's a much more, it's much more of a focus on quality over quantity. Yeah, that's pretty much across the board in the company. You know, we try and really put the expertise in and share something that's actually useful. And that that just means spending more time on it. So, you know, an example piece of content. So we we launched our video marketing lab late last year. We spent the last quarter of last year building out our Facebook version of the lab. So it's just this really in-depth guide. I don't know how many total bits of content in there, but an absolute truckload. There were probably six people that worked on it over three months. We hired video marketing, I mean, Facebook experts because we were covering Facebook. We ran a whole bunch of tests and we shared all the data for that. And we actually made some tweaks to the product. We made new content. So it's it's really just getting in doing that tinkering that we've always done, but then sharing the results and sharing the, the findings with our users. Now, I love that you brought up that example. Can you peel the onion back one layer more? I mean, do you have any sense mm-hmm. of any sort of data or metrics around what that one piece of content, whether generation mm-hmm. in traffic or search engine mm-hmm. results or any any metrics that you could share around that so that people can understand the impact that going mm-hmm. deep can have? Yeah, so that I'm not the person who's who's tracking every one of those articles anymore. I would bet. Those bits of content. <laughs> But it has a combined effect. I think originally what we were just looking at is very simplistic things like search traffic. So we go, okay, there's huge search demand for this. We put it out. We try and get a ranking and we, we, we just rank our success based on that initial search traffic and, and the free users that would sign up from it. Now we realize that it, it is a longer term game. So a piece of content will go out through all our channels, we'll cut it up and we'll send it as emails. We have a weekly newsletter that goes through to a couple of million people. We'll be included in there. We spend a lot more time trying to get third parties promoted. And so we get a lot more link juice out of it, whether they link to the article or to our site, it all improves our domain authorities. Overall, search rankings rise. If we're covering topics that maybe we haven't covered in depth before, we'll get more coverage, the sort of search terms that Google thinks we're relevant for. So there's kind of like lots of lots of little bits that are important. And if you do it consistently over time, you see, you know, really big ramifications. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming that Google, you know, you probably get the majority of your traffic based on that strategy from Google. So we get a lot of traffic from Google, definitely. Because I'm sure with you know the the trend has been longer, more in depth content mm-hmm. has a tendency to get ranked better amongst a whole bunch of shallow, not so deep content, right? So um, yeah, so Google's really interesting because you know originally they just looked at like is this content a match, and then they look at like is this a match, but are you an authority on the topic? And now I'm sure most listeners out there know a bit about search, but 
you know, they, they look at like how long do people spend on the site, bounce rates. And so they can, did they go on and do secondary searches to look for more type, more content? Like, were they not satisfied with this result? So they can really tell now, like, is this really useful to someone or is it not? Yeah, makes sense. And and I I've seen that in my own content and I know that I've talked mm-hmm. to a lot of other people, a lot of other marketers that have felt the same way. I know I had mm-hmm. Neil Patel was on my podcast not that long ago and if anybody want to check mm-hmm. that out, they could search for that on the podcast, but but um, I know he's a he's a huge advocate of more in-depth what you're doing, which is unique in-depth content. So so awesome. Well, listen, let's talk about the second one. You talked about your your watermark or your built, mm-hmm. built-in promotion into the product. Yeah. You have that biteable logo. I think mm-hmm. in some cases it's linkable, in some cases it's not. What's been mm-hmm. the result of that? What's what's your takeaway from that? Because I know it's acquiring your users, but can you expand on yeah. that? Yeah. So yep, it works in those two ways. So if people someone downloads the video and puts it onto YouTube, obviously it's difficult to include a link. If someone embeds the video straight on their website, it uses our player, so we can include links in that. So what it really does is breaks us into a new audience that doesn't have search intent. You know, they're not necessarily looking for to make an ad or to make a promotion at that stage, but they might still be interested in the topic. One of the ways as we grow that we're always looking at, how do we get to that next audience? It's easier to get in front of the people that are looking for a solution right now. It's harder to get in front of the people that may not be aware there are solutions and maybe starting to look for for solutions down the track and you know trying to build that brand so when they do hopefully they come to us yeah i don't know any any specific questions around that yeah so i have a question about that a little bit of a follow up here so you seem like search traffic is doing really well and you mentioned something mm-hmm. about about google recognizing you as an authority how much of an impact do you think brand queries are having on that because i know you know, mm-hmm. in some of the cases, it's just a watermark, so they can't click. My gut tells me that if someone's curious, they go right to Google, they type it in, and boom, there you come. So those brand queries, yeah. from what I understand, are extremely powerful. Can you elaborate on that? Do you have any anything to share on that? Yeah, so brand queries are, are really huge for us. It obviously has an impact on your domain authority and everything, really, you know, all the metrics. It's that we call it beyond the click. So the stuff that's hard to track, you know, if someone publishes a video to YouTube, it may, may not have a link. We may never be able to track that someone watched that video and then came to us, but we know it works. So what we do is we try and invest in initiatives, usually at like a quarter level. So we go, okay, this quarter as a marketing team, we're going to focus on these eight initiatives. And then we look over time, have they had an impact? You know, are we getting more brand searches? Which of these things, you know, when did we release things? What can we attribute those step changes to? So it is a lot more complicated than just tracking, you know, pure paid acquisition or SEO techniques or things like that. Uh, But it also has a massive impact. So, yeah, I I feel it's still kind of new territory for us. Gotcha. So you mentioned paid. Are you doing much in paid Mm -hmm. for customer acquisition? I mean, I'm assuming you've you've at least dabbled i mean is most of it organic or you are you heavy into paid these days we're focused on organic channels and paid i'd say we're still doing to a small degree we're still kind of dabbling is that mainly facebook or you which platform are you using most for that yeah so constantly testing everything so you know we have a dual purpose we're trying to attract users but we're also just testing those channels with video ads the same as our users were to to learn and become the experts 
So, you know, we focus on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, probably primarily at the moment. Perfect. All right. Well, one more question, and then we're going to do a quick rapid fire here. But mm-hmm. what if you had to, because this is always curious, because I see a lot of video content out there, right? And most mm-hmm. of it, I'll be extremely honest with you, is just not very good, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we could agree on that. People are learning. It's new. It's, you know, they're they're just trying to get things out there. And so my my question is, what do you think is the biggest mistake that users are making when they're creating video content? I mean, if you had to pick one, I mean, I know, I know there's tons, right? But what, yeah. what do you think would be the biggest mistake? What stands out to you? This is a very biased answer, but I think the quality of the video. I think video, people think anything that, you know, is a video that plays is going to have the same impact. And if you look at TV ads and compare it to most of the videos online, you can tell pretty quickly that's not the case. And so to produce a really good video, there's a lot there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And I think people underestimate the impact those videos can have. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, listen, rapid fire on these next two, and then we'll wrap it up. What's your favorite, okay. what's your favorite growth tool or software that you're using to help grow Biteable today? If you had to pick one tool or software, what would be the one? I like Ahrefs, which is a, a search tool. Yeah, it gives, gives us really interesting insights on our own usage, but also all our competitors. Yeah, great tool. Absolutely. I'll make sure I put a link to it in the show notes. And what would be one book that you would recommend to my audience? Uh, something that just rang home to you mm-hmm. or maybe helped you throughout your journey? Yeah, a product book called Built to Love. Can't remember who the author is, but it's basically how do you build a product that people will really engage with and love? Love it. Perfect. Well, listen, before we go, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about mm-hmm. Biteable, and then we'll wrap mm-hmm. it up for today. Yeah. So yeah, it's Biteable.com. If you want to connect with me personally, best get me on Twitter, which is James S. McGregor. But yeah, if you've got any questions, if you want to play with a product and you know, shoot me any questions about it, want to chat video marketing either, I'm all ears. Awesome. I'll make sure I include those links in the show notes. Congrats on, you know, absolutely killing it. Look forward to seeing your, you know, your next 4 million users and getting to maybe doubling your revenue from there. And maybe we'll have you back on the show. Appreciate you being here and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dennis. Thanks, James. It's been a pleasure. All right. Okay. Catch Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.